The Illinois House has a new speaker, and it's someone who says he wants to set a different tone. I mean, we wouldn't have 73 Democrats and a supermajority in our chamber without Speaker Madigan. But I will say that I still have to be Chris Welch, and I have always been open and accessible and transparent uh, as a, a elected official, and I intend to do that uh, as, as best as possible. An exclusive interview with newly elected Speaker Emmanuel Chris Welch coming up on this edition of Capital Cast. Hello and welcome to Capital Cast, a regular podcast of Capital News Illinois. I'm Peter Hancock. On January 13th, the Illinois House elected a speaker. And for the first time since 1997, his name wasn't Michael Madigan. State Representative Emmanuel Chris Welch, a Democrat from the western Chicago suburb of Hillside, now takes over that job. He's the state's first black speaker, which is historic enough by itself. But he also steps into office at a time when the state of Illinois faces enormous challenges on multiple fronts. So, how does he plan to approach the job, and how will he be different from Mike Madigan? I connected with a new speaker via Zoom on Tuesday, January 26th, to ask him about that. Here is that interview. Speaker Welch, thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. Let's just get right into it. A lot has already been said and written about the historic nature of your election. Uh, but you're taking over the House at a time of a public health crisis, an economic and employment crisis, a uh, time of some racial and social unrest, and a crisis of state finances. Where do you start? What are your top priorities? Well, I definitely agree that I'm taking over at a challenging time. Uh, any one of the things that you just mentioned uh, makes for an interesting session by itself. Uh, and I'm inheriting a, a situation where we're going to have to deal with all of that uh, all at once. And so I think that where you start is where I've already started. And that's by putting a diverse leadership team in place, a team that reflects the diversity of our state, which is our strength. Uh, and I'm going to listen to these diverse minds around the table and get their ideas and how to tackle these challenges. This, these challenges are bigger than one person. Uh, we're gonna resolve these issues by working together collaboratively in partnership. Uh, and we're gonna have to do that, uh, not just now, but in the future. Uh, and you will see that that's my style and I'm looking forward to working with this great team that I rolled out last week. Uh, and we're, we're gonna get to work. I mean, we're, we're gonna tackle these challenges head on. Okay. so. I just want to point out that in the two years that I've been in Illinois now, this is already the longest conversation I've had with an Illinois House speaker. Do you intend to be more accessible, more open than your predecessor? I mean, how is your management style different from former Speaker Madigan? Well, you know, I, one of the things I have to say, and, you know, I really uh, uh, speak very highly of Speaker Madigan. I mean, we wouldn't have 73 Democrats and a supermajority in our chamber without Speaker Madigan. Uh, but I will say uh, uh, that I still have to be Chris Welch. And I have always been open and accessible and transparent uh, as a, a elected official. 
and I intend to do that uh, as, as best as possible. Uh, I think it, it, it helps to get out there and um, make your case, uh, explain to people why you support issues or why you don't support issues. Uh, and um, as, as you know, Peter, we, we've talked many times in the past and uh, I will try my best uh, to be as open and accessible as possible. Okay, in recent days, uh, we've gotten several messages on social media for people pointing out that while teachers in Chicago and elsewhere are being ordered back into the classroom, the General, General Assembly itself isn't back at work. Uh, how important is it to get lawmakers back into Springfield? And will the House be meeting at the State House? Well, we are working uh, through the calendar right now. I've, I've published a calendar. I've had conversations with my caucus about what a return to work looks like. We are going to be working in 2021. The question is, what does it look like? And so we are probably going to have a hybrid approach where we'll do a lot of committee work virtually. Uh, that's going to take uh, changing our rules a bit uh, to allow that to happen. Uh, but I have committed to uh, making rules changes, so we're, that's something that we can put in there. Um, and then there's there's going to be a return to work in Springfield as well. Um, you know, as we approach April and May, you can expect us to be in Springfield. Uh, we are going to uh, try to transition back to the Capitol as quickly as possible. You will see on February 10th, when we come down to approve the new house rules, that we're going to uh, basically conduct an experiment of sorts. We're going to, you know, have session at the Capitol and see if we can rotate members in and off the floor, see how that works. And we're going to go from there. Um, we're going to constantly be tweaking this process so that we can make sure we keep members safe because safety is uh, the number one priority. Okay. Did I hear you say you're planning on coming back in April? No, no, no. no. I'm, I, I'm saying, you know, uh, Initially, we're going to probably start out with some type of uh, work virtually. Virtually meaning a lot of our committee work will be done virtually. And most, most of February and March is committee work. Right. Uh, as we approach April and May, that uh, as we're getting to crunch time, I anticipate being in Springfield a lot more uh, than we have uh, over the past year. Okay, you mentioned making some rule changes. In recent years, there have been a number of issues that have had bipartisan support. Uh, notably among them is legislative ethics reform. And those issues never saw the light of day on the floor of the House because the rules allowed the Speaker to pretty much stifle any bill he didn't like. Um, are you willing to look at rules changes that will allow more bills to at least get floor debate uh, and come up for votes? Uh, Peter, I uh, committed to taking a quick, hard look at the rules. Uh, and uh, The rules would have normally been approved on January 14th, the day after the inauguration. I pulled that from the calendar. And we have already discussed the rules preliminarily as a caucus. We're now moving into working groups. Uh, Leader Greg Harris is going to oversee the rules working group, and we're going to listen to the members and uh, uh, take in uh, proposals for rules changes. Leader Harris is going to reach out to the Republicans uh, and ask uh, for suggestions. And I want to let that process uh, play itself out. When we're being uh, sincere and taking a quick, hard examination of these rules, uh, but 
you know, we can't do much until rules are approved. And so our intent is to let this go on for the next couple of weeks, February 10th. Uh, we will have uh, uh, a vote on the rules. Uh, I anticipate that uh, there will be some changes to the to the rules uh, from the past. Okay, you mentioned reaching out to Republicans, and I'm remembering your inaugural speech uh, from the BOS Center in Springfield, and you really tried to strike a tone of unity and of bipartisanship. Didn't necessarily hear that from the other side. Um, what kind of working relationship do you think you'll have with Minority Leader Durkin? And can you get past uh, the animosity that's built up over recent years and months? Well, you know, uh, Leader Durkin and the Republican Party are so dug in and, and, and uh, uh, you know, a little bit stuck in the past. But I think that, you know, as my own high school teachers say, people may doubt what you say, but they believe what you do. Uh, and so I just asked him and others to give me the space to do some work and let my actions speak for themselves. I actually called him uh, this past Saturday uh, to talk to him about the intent about going back to session to approve the rules on February 10th, find out who his pinpoint person is on the rules. And he was pleasantly surprised to receive a call from me on a Saturday morning. That's my style and that's what I intend to do going forward is to keep an open line of communication. We actually live less than five miles from each other. Uh, when things open back up, we'll probably meet regularly for coffee. I've already talked to a number of his members who've called me and we've just had casual conversations and uh, they appreciated the fact that I've taken their call and, and, and talk with them. And that's not a one-time thing. That's gonna uh, continue. Again, that's how I am. That's, that's who I am. Uh, and. I think when you keep an open line of communications, even when you disagree, uh, you're not going to have the, uh, the the deep dysfunction that we've had in the past between the two parties. Okay. Um, speaking of Republicans, uh, since the pandemic began, many Republicans and even some Democrats have said that they believe the legislature ought to be more involved in developing the state's response to COVID-19. Um, do you intend to have the legislature get involved or are you comfortable allowing the governor to do this on the executive side? Well, the legislative branch is a separate branch of government and we are uh, back in business in 2021 uh, and we're gonna do the work of the legislature. We're gonna try to work collaboratively as possible with the executive branch I have had several conversations with the governor already and given him my thoughts on things. And we're gonna to continue to have those types of conversations. Um, as you, if you're not picking up on a theme, I'm on the phone a lot, Peter. And uh, I've had conversations with uh, the Senate president, the governor, uh, Leader Durkin. And these aren't one-time conversations. These are things that you have to do on an ongoing basis if we're gonna really tackle the challenges that we lie ahead and tackle them um, in a proper way. And what are you hoping to see from the incoming Biden administration? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm already seeing it. And what we see, and, and I hope it continues, is strong leadership at the top on COVID-19. We can no longer continue to take a week-by-week, month-by-month approach to COVID-19. We have to recognize that this is something that's been around for a year now and will be around for some time. And we need leadership from Washington 
that's going to help the states address it. I was happy to see the uh, president's $1.9 trillion uh, COVID-19 relief proposal. Uh, I, I am certainly hoping that they can push that thing through in his first 100 days with some significant help for state and local governments. Because if we're going to uh, fix many of the problems at ALS right now, we need some help out of Washington. And I'm really hopeful uh, because of the Biden-Harris administration. And how important is it that you get federal help uh, for state and local governments? Oh, that's critical. That's critical. Uh, you know, we already had budget issues in this state. There's no secret about that. But COVID-19 has exacerbated every state's budget. And we need the federal government to step in and help us address issues that were created because of COVID-19 and the, and the poor leadership that we had in the past that led to, to many of the problems that we have today. Okay, and finally, I just wanted a few questions for people maybe not from the Chicago area who are not as familiar with you. You're from the western suburb of Hillside. Is that where you grew up? I grew up uh, uh, two towns over in Maywood, and eventually my, my family uh, moved one town over in Bellwood, and my wife born and raised here in Hillside, so I moved another town over to Hillside where we raise, we're raising our family now. But I am born and raised in the 7th District. Uh, been here my whole life and uh, don't intend to go anywhere. And a lot of people know that you went to Northwestern University where you played baseball. Can I ask what your batting average was? <laughs> you know, I actually loved baseball at Northwestern. I was known for my speed, so I was always at the top of the order, one or two. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I was the speedster, did a lot of bunting. My, my average was close to 100, but it wasn't uh, close to 300, but it wasn't quite 300. Um, you know, but I, I, I tell you, it, it was one of the best times of my life. Did you ever think of going pro? I, I think we all had dreams of going pro. Because uh, I... I can tell you as a lifelong Kansas City Royals fan that a subpar batting average is not necessarily a deal breaker. You know, we all had dreams of going pro, Peter. I mean, I actually played left field, and our shortstop was Mark Loretta. Mark Loretta went on to play for the Dodgers and the Astros and the Brewers. And sure. was one of the best second baseman shortstops in the game. I had some talent on my team. Uh, former White Sox manager Jeff Torborg's son Dale was on our team, and uh, we had some great experiences uh, with uh, many of the current major leaguers at the time. Uh, but the reality is set in, you know. In my senior year, I didn't play baseball and uh, focused on my grades because I knew I wanted to go to law school. Okay, Speaker Emmanuel Chris Welch, thank you for being here. Hey, Peter, thank you for having me. That was newly elected House Speaker Emmanuel Chris Welch of Hillside. And that'll do it for this edition of Capital Cast. Capital Cast is a production of Capital News Illinois, a statehouse reporting project of the Illinois Press Foundation. Until next time, this is Peter Hancock saying stay safe and thank you for listening.